Hi, it's JP Mac, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Okay, so here we are, currently on the 26th of June, 2022, and wow, there's just nothing in the news to uh, speak of, right? Um, so, of course, uh, did have a couple of uh, Supreme Court decisions, one uh, important one which allows gun owners in New York and other states to uh, basically carry uh, the weapons outside the home. Um, basically, it forces New York State in particular to follow the Constitution. Um, but of course, the main one, the main subject that everybody is talking about now is, of course, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States overturning Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade, of course, being the decision made back in 1973, which uh, prohibited states from uh, prohibiting uh, abortion. It's basically what um, allowed uh, women to have an abortion uh, up until the point of viability in the United States. And so uh, a lot of uh, abortion laws in the United States at the time were struck down. Um, but now the new ruling uh, with uh, Dobbs versus Jackson uh, that overturns uh, Roe v. Wade. So that basically remains the uh, abortion decision on abortion laws to the state and to the people. So, of course, um, the internet has actually, you know, basically exploded with posts both for and against it. So, we're going to talk about that today. Um, so, again, um, on this slow news week, um, by now, you've heard that Roe versus Wade has been overturned and the abortion question has been remanded back to the states. There has been, predictably, an explosion of postings, both pro and against abortion. Here are some of the pro-abortion arguments, talking points, and myths you may have heard. I'll be addressing these in the podcast, which I am about to do now. Okay, the first one, and by the way, these are not straw man arguments. These are all ones I've seen online. You've probably seen these are similar ones online yourself. So I'm not straw manning this. These are actual arguments made by actual uh, people. Uh, of course, I'm paraphrasing this argument, and I'm kind of, in some cases, I'm combining two similar arguments into one. Uh, argument that I address, but everything here is actual things that are being said, and these are just a few. Um, so we'll get into the first one. Um, this was one you probably heard some variation of. Uh, it's in this case, it's a friend online who will remain not known, basically, as. Um, what about the 12-year-old rape victim? Do you want to force her to have a child? This argues from the extremes, but 
all bite? My answer is no, and here's why. While national abortion statistics can be hard to find, we can get an idea of the numbers from various studies. According to one study, less than 1% of abortions were done as a result of a woman or girl being raped. From the Western Journal article entitled, Facts, the Truth About Rape, Incest, Abortions that Every American Needs to Know, it says, Statistics from Florida's Agency for Health Care Administration show that of the 70,083 abortions that were carried out in 2018, just 0.14% abortions were sought due to rape. Perfect here is the enemy of the good. I'd rather not add a human death to a rape, but 99% is a lot bigger, let's face it, than 1%. And so, I and many other pro-lifers are comfortable allowing four exceptions for rape and incest, as well as for the life of the mother. I'm not aware, actually, of any law that does not make exceptions for these isolated circumstances. Uh, next one. Uh, most abortions are performed in the first eight weeks, and therefore do not end the life. It's, meaning the baby, not alive. It's just a quote-unquote clump of cells. My answer to that is it's a life. It may be a so-called clump of cells, but it gathers nourishment, grows, and develops according to instructions in its DNA, human DNA. It is a living thing and is a living human, human being under development. Um, also, on that note, um, you've heard the clump of cells um, argument. Um, I said, uh, we have a name. Okay, if that clump of cells, even if that point were, I guess you call it the zygote, or uh, after a few weeks, maybe the embryo, even at the early stage, if that clump of cells, so-called uh, dies, becomes non-viable. We call we have a word for that. We call that uh, miscarriage. Okay, if it if it occurs naturally, if the if the that clump of cells or the embryo uh, stops gathering nourishment, growing and developing according to the instructions in its DNA, um, if that happen, occurs naturally, we call that a miscarriage. Um, as opposed to uh, when the uh, woman's ovum is expelled um, during menstruation, okay? Once it's fertilized, um, that's it. That's when the life begins. And it is a living thing. And oh, if that process is interrupted through unnatural means, which we call abortion, right? That's the whole purpose of abortion is to uh, abort that process of that 
clump of cells or embryo or fetus further developing into a for or a fully viable uh, human baby um, we call that an abortion that's the whole point of an abortion is to interrupt that development and of course the product of the development or that product of abortion is a dead person basically it results in death in every uh, successful um, instance uh, abortion is the only medical procedure where quote-unquote success um, means the death of a human being um, that's just the fact so yeah so that's that argument kind of struck down that's but it's it's when you hear it's one of the more popular ones all right uh, another myth is more of the on the myth side uh, the Supreme Court took away a woman's right to an abortion the decision in Dobbs versus Jackson basically said that women never had a constitutional right to abortion it follows therefore that women never had that right to lose the court back in 73 basically cobbled together a right that was not in the Constitution the uh, term abortion or anything like that uh, appears nowhere in the Constitution uh, take my word for it I read it uh, critics of Roe v Wade have long held that the court made a bad ruling that required a lot of legal and intellectual gymnastics to be cited in the way it was. <coughs> All right, sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, what I was going to say is um, it's funny, people are complaining about the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg about how she should have retired and allowed herself to be replaced before she died. <clears throat> what I think the people who were saying that don't realize is um, Ginsburg herself understood this to be the case, that Roe versus Wade was poorly decided, um, even though she was a liberal justice and, and a woman, um, I wouldn't just assume that she would have ruled in favor of keeping Roe versus Wade. Um, she knew it was bad law. She knew it was a bad decision and it was poorly decided. And there's a reason to believe that um, she might have indeed, um, in this case, ruled with the majority. <clears throat> um, so there's that. All right, the next... Uh, fallacy or argument here is that women will now be forced to give birth basically making them slaves or equal to cattle this is the handmaid's tale argument okay this is absolutely ridiculous in the United States in 2022 contraception is cheap and readily available absence by the way abstinence is free uh, for a woman to give birth against her will in most cases she either has to have sex against her will we call that rape or she has to forego the use of contraception granted contraception is only 98 to 99 percent effective depending on method of course if you're combining two or more 
methods of uh, contraception, maybe the, the woman and the man both using contraception, um, it's almost impossible. Not, not impossible, but very, very improbable for the woman to get pregnant. Um, so the unlike, in the unlike, unlikely event, she does get pregnant against her will. There are thousands, if not millions, of couples who would want to adopt. Uh, I, for one, would not have a sister if it weren't for someone uh, making the decision to uh, give their child up for adoption. Okay? And I think most people would agree that it's better to adopt than to... Um, or give the child up to adoption than to abort it. At least then you're giving up, um, you're giving that child a home, you know, loving mother and father, you know, putting them in a nuclear family, giving them a good chance to succeed. And that's, to me, that is a brave and noble thing for a woman to give their child up for adoption. Certainly, you know, it's got to be a hard decision to make. But um, I think in many cases, if not most cases, it's probably the correct one, particularly if the woman really knows that they're not capable at that point of raising a child. Maybe they can't afford it. Maybe there's no husband involved or no man involved to take care of it or well, any reason, but most pro-life people, I think most people in general, would generally, uh, given their druthers, would rather see the woman uh, give the child up for adoption than abort it. Okay, so uh, even if contraception fails and she really doesn't want to go through a pregnancy, she can still, even post-row, get an abortion in roughly half the states of the Union. Odds are, she already lives in a state where abortion is legal. Most Americans live in a state where abortion is currently legal, in at least the first trimester. So, here we're talking about states California, New York, New Jersey, um, a lot of states, you know, a lot of the blue states, virtually all the blue states, um, don't have any restriction on abortion or they don't have any restriction or they allow abortion up until and including the, the first trimester and so that's not really an excuse I think and I think as a result um, kind of an unintended consequence but I think it's one that most pro-life people are willing to live with um, unintended consequences is now abortion tourism is going to become a thing I think you're going to have a lot of people, you know, people like George Soros comes to mind who will have foundations and uh, pay women's expenses to travel to a, a, a different state to get an abortion or it's legal in that state. And so that also kind of uh, cuts into the argument you hear a lot that this will make um, woman unsafe, um, 
that, uh, you know, we'll go back to the rust, rusty coat hanger days of abortion. Um, I don't know very, like I said, the most, most women, most Americans live already live in a state where, you know, abortion is going nowhere. It's going to be allowed. Now the pro-life, um, constituency may not like that, but that's the reality that we have to accept that probably there's going to be anywhere from 25 to, to 26 states that allow some form of abortion. Uh, and so you'll have, um, again, as I said, you'll have uh, foundations being created to fund uh, a woman's travel to an abortion clinic. I mean, you'll have uh, abortion. Um, you'll you'll do your. We're already hearing about some companies allowing time off for women to travel out of state to have an abortion if abortion abortion is not legal in their state. Again, um, pro-life crowd may not uh, like that fact, but it's. It is the reality, and it's probably not going to change anytime soon. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm of the kind of in the um, Ronald Reagan camp where, you know, he would go to Congress and, you know, he would negotiate, you know, and he'd rather, you know, kind of like the half a loaf theory, you know, he'd rather come back. Um, ask for the whole loaf and come back with half a loaf rather than no loaf. So if that makes sense. So, um, still, even if abortion is legal in half the states in America, that still saves, uh, millions upon millions of unborn life. And that is something I think that is a good thing. I don't know how you can think that is a bad thing, but, those are the major arguments. Um, so kind of, I guess, review again. Um, so what about the 12 year old rape, rape victim? You want to force her to have a child. Um, the reality is that that only represents a small percentage of the abortions being performed in this country. Um, <clears throat> at least in this one study done in Florida. That was 0.14%. I don't know how representative that is of the entire country, but it's probably pretty close. This probably does not go above 1% uh, nationwide. Um, like I said, um, better to have, you know, if you, you know, there's no state that I'm aware of, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any state that does not allow uh, an exception for the life of the mother or rape and incest. I don't think anyone, uh, even the most strict rape or the district abortion laws, um, even in the strictest states, um, those exceptions are included so far as I know. Um, like I said, you know, I would, Gladly, um, you know, if if 
allowing for that 1% or less to have an abortion, um, is that's, if that's the price of having the other 99% of the babies being saved, then I will, I will take that deal. Obviously, if you're a, a pro-life purist or a, a pro-life ideologue purist, maybe you're not going to accept uh, you don't want to accept that. But I live in the real world, and in the real world, um, at least in 2022, you're, you're only going to have half the states making any serious inroads against uh, abortion. That's just the reality, but it's a lot better than what we had before, before the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Um, then again, uh, next one is most abortions are performed in the first eight weeks. Therefore, they do not end a life. Um, again, for it to be considered a life, quote unquote, um, you basically need uh, three things. Um, it has to be more than just uh, obviously an or organic mass. That organic mass has to take in nutrients. It has to grow. And it has to uh, be developing according to the blueprint in its DNA. Okay. And even the, you know, the youngest zygote uh, meets those uh, specifications for the, the basic uh, specifications for life. So, now, let's kind of go in that, into some more detail since we have time. Um, that clump of cells it has human DNA, right? So it's not going to become a chicken. It's not going to become a protozoa. It's not going to become a chimpanzee. It can only become a human, okay? Unless you get into some far-fetched gene-splicing sci-fi thing. But in, in a normal course of life as it exists today, uh, if you have DNA, you're going to turn into a human when you are born, you're going to be a human. Okay, so that uh, that answers the question, well, is it a human being at that point? I think it does. Obviously, you can have deep phys uh, philosophical discussions about at one point, do you actually have your humanity? What point does a human being acquire a soul? Um, some people believe it's at the point of conception. Some people See, it's at the point of birth. Um, I would have to believe, at the very least, that if the fetus is viable outside the womb, um, I would have to imagine, you know, because we have premature babies born all the time. They're viable out, outside the womb. Maybe they need a little help in the incubator, but they're, they can live outside the womb at a certain point. And that... And that certain point that point is being made earlier and earlier in the pregnancy right but even on the road versus wade i believe if i understand it correctly it's it's always been to the point of viability outside the world that's always been the case
case. Um, so, you know, you have a baby, you have a premature baby. Well, if that baby is taken out of the womb, like via C-section, for instance, um, and it's born alive, um, you know, is there anybody who would argue that that premature baby, even though it hasn't reached its full uh, gestation period of nine months or nine months, give or take a couple weeks, um, would anybody suggest that that's not a fully human being with all the rights of a human being and indeed with a soul of a human being? Even if, again, that uh, baby is born prematurely. I don't think anybody would argue that at that point it's not a, a human being in ever, any real sense of the word, any meaningful sense of the word. Of course it is. And so the only question really is, is it a human being before that, in between the time where it's conceived, where the egg is fertilized and becomes viable um, in some form outside of the uterus? And that, that is the philosophical question. And so at this point, um, there's a lot of... Um, where they, a lot of states either have laws or in the process of creating laws where abortion will be illegal after um, the first few weeks. Um, it's called the heartbeat bill. So as soon as the heartbeat can be detected, it is now uh, protected from being aborted. And so you have a heart, the heartbeat law is basically where most Americans, the consensus of most Americans is that that's the the uh, point where we don't want to go beyond and have abortions. And of course, it may surprise people that uh, Europe, you would think that that would be like the abortion demand capital being the secular people that they are over in Europe, most of them. Um, no, actually, a lot of uh, European countries have stricter abortion laws than most American states. Um, so that's kind of interesting. And that's something that most of us only found out in the last few weeks. But I, th I find that's very interesting because I would have thought that, uh, that, you know, like a lot of people, I think Europe would have been, you know, you know, you can have abortion on demand up until the ninth month or the tenth month. You know, given the way that they're liberal with other things, but they're actually more strict with abortion. I think many people in the United States would be surprised to hear that. All right. Um, all right. Going back over the Supreme Court took away a woman's right to abortion. Of course, that is not the case. Um, the whole decision of Dobbs versus Jackson revolves around the fact that uh, despite what Roe versus Wade uh, said, that women in America never really had a right, a constitutional right to abortion. Um, you know, abortion doesn't appear anywhere in the Constitution. Therefore, it's impossible to lose a right you never really had. So, and... 
people, a lot of a big misconception a lot of people had with Roe versus Wade. They thought that overturning uh, Roe versus Wade meant that uh, abortion would instantly become illegal nationwide, and that is, uh, of course, not the case. Um, right now, there's only, I, th I think I heard, 26 states that have anti-abortion laws either on the books or in the works. Um, and not all of them, I think some of them, it goes to varying stages. So I think the norm, I think, is going to be after the first trimester. Um, um, besides that, it's going to be basically the heart bill. So when a heart, heartbeat is detected, that is, you know, you're not going to be have a, an abortion past that point. I think that's going to become the new norm as far as abortion prohibitions in this country. And so, like it or not, that is the reality. Um, you know, everybody in this, you know, has to come to grips with some sort of reality that maybe they don't like. Um, you know, the uh, pro-life or right-to-life purist uh, ideologue is not going to like that. You know, 24, 25 states are still going to allow abortion pretty much on demand. Um, they're not going to like that. Some of them won't want to uh, allow for even abortion on, you know, for the life of the woman or in the case of rape and incest. Um, I, I think most of the country, the vast majority of the country is kind of in the middle where they are, even in the, I'm talking about the pro-life community now. Uh, most of the pro-life community, so far as I know, uh, believe, are willing to make that exception for a rape, incest, and the life of the mother. Uh, both of the, all of those exceptions are exceedingly rare. And so you're only getting, you're only including by allowing for that one to maybe two percent of all the abortions that are, are uh, occurring and of course uh, again the one which I think is the, the worst fallacy of all is the handmaid's tale argument where um, they're trying to tell people the proponents of abortion are trying to tell people that um, women are basically going to become slaves. It's going to like be like be like the book, the Margaret Atwood book called The Handmaid's Tale, where women are, you know, certain women are, uh, have the privilege of giving birth, and that's their job. That's basically their job. They're required to give birth. And, um, you know, you have, I guess, a Netflix series or whatever series um, on it, but... Um, that is the misconception, um, and it also relates to another misconception uh, about religion. Uh, people have tried to argue that you know this is all about religious zealots trying to control women, um, and it's also that these people, these religious zealots, are taking over the 
um, church, the Christian church. Um, it's actually the opposite is true. It's actually the leftists, the progressive leftists that are coming in, kind of sweeping in and indoctrinating the church members and and their and their the churches. They're they are kind of infiltrating the churches and making them more progressive. So if anything, um, progressive the churches are unfortunately, in my opinion, becoming more leftist. So. Um, when someone tries to suggest that this is a bunch of evangelicals or Catholics trying to gain power over women or gain power in general, exactly the opposite is true. Um, churches were much more uh, conservative back in the day. Uh, if you go back to like the 50s and 60s and 70s, even the 80s, they were much more conservative than they are now. And a lot of churches, um, particularly the Catholic Church, but some other churches, are becoming woke. I mean, that is actually what the term woke, where the term woke comes from. It comes from uh, belief that uh, you know when you're, if you're learning about Christianity, you become woke, and somehow that mutated into woke meaning. Uh, following the progressive or leftist line of thought. And so leftism has basically taken over a lot of American churches. Uh, it's, it's been corrupted. So the idea that, you know, these are religious zealots just coming in and assuming power and everything was good and everything was liberal, that was not the case. Um, and... Another argument, kind of become more of a related argument, is that um, you know this decision was made. Another fallacy was was uh, that uh, this is about Republicans um, created this law because they didn't put any consideration into. Uh, you know they made the, they made this law without consideration for things like adoption or pregnancy centers or taking care of pregnant women or health care for pregnant women. Um, first of all, it's not the job of the Supreme Court doesn't make law. Okay. And those people whose job to make law, those in the legislature, the congressmen in Congress, they didn't create this decision um the president um you know several republican presidents appointed the more conservative justices on the bench particularly um particularly president trump appointed three conservative justices uh amy coney barrett uh, neil gorsuch and kavanaugh brent kavanaugh and so he appointed those three. Um, really, you have a net difference of one. So uh, Trump basically, they, they, when all was said and done with the court, was Trump flipped one liberal seat conservative on the bench. Um, 
So you have this accusation, again, or a combination of accusations supposing that this was a rule made by Republicans. First of all, uh, justices have no political affiliation officially. Okay, there's no such thing as a republic, Republican or Democrat uh, justice. Okay, that is a myth. Now, they may vote Republican. They, they may be appointed by a Republican or a Democrat. But um, the purpose or the setup of the Supreme Court is to have no party. Okay, the idea of the Supreme Court is that you leave, when you agree to join the Supreme Court, you leave your party affiliation behind and you're supposed to become uh, sworn to the Constitution. Okay. Now, as a practical, practical matter, you know, is does Clarence Thomas vote for Democrats? Probably not. Does uh, Sotomayor vote Republican ever? Probably not. But the idea is, and the ideal is, that once you become a Supreme Court justice, you leave party affiliation behind because you are, um, it's kind of like being in a member of the United States military. You are, your primary duty is to the constitution. Okay. It is not to any party or any group. It is, you're sworn to uphold the constitution. And so that precludes a party. That's why, you know, you, you can have state judges in some states, you know, they run as Republicans or Democrats. But once you get to the Supreme Court, the idea is that you leave all your party affiliation behind. So it's not accurate. You know, you when you see Neil Gorsuch, you don't see that R after his name. Okay, you just see Justice Neil, Neil Gorsuch. Okay, or, or Justice Brent Kavanaugh, or, or whatever the, the person is. You know, Justice Elena Kagan, you don't see an R or Democrat, R or D next to their name, because that is not appropriate. They're not, at that point, functioning as Republicans or Democrats. So, hope you, you understand the distinction I'm making here. They may be... Um, philosophically affiliated with a, one party or another. Um, and they may have run in their state, when, you know, if there were a state judge at some point, they may have run as a Republican or Democrat. Um, but once you get to the Supreme Court, you are to leave party affiliations behind. Um, so that in, in that way, just by saying that, um, it's inaccurate. It's inaccurate to say any Supreme Court justice is a Republican or Democrat. So that's one problem. The other is they don't seem to understand that the members of Congress, um, the Senate approves or, you know, they vote up or down to approve justices. Basically, almost all Supreme Court justices are approved just by a matter of course. Um, it's fairly rare that, um, the Senate votes down 
the approval of justice, even from the opposite party. Okay, obviously it's a lot easier uh, if you have the votes of, you know, if your uh, pick is one that the party likes, it's, it's a lot easier, the process is a lot easier for that appointee to be approved, um, that nominee to be approved uh, by the Senate, but um, that's as far as it goes. So it's kind of uh, misleading to associate um, any member of Congress with uh, a decision, a particular decision made by the Supreme Court, because they're a separate and equal branch of the Supreme Court. They're allowed to do what they want. They're appointed for life. They don't have to run for re for reelection. Um, basically, all they have to do is uphold their uphold their the Constitution. That's basically their only job. Um, and occasionally, Chief Chief Justice might provide preside over an impeachment trial. Or they might swear in a new president or um, uh, re-swear in a re-elected president. But that's basically it. That's all justices do. They have a ceremonial duty. They preside over impeachment. And they decide cases supposed to be according to the Constitution and nothing else. Okay. And so that's why kind of when you get the idea, when you, you, know, you had all of these people protesting in, in um, front of just Justice's house. Um, I don't care who you are, if you're a liberal justice, you know, if you're Elena Kagan, or if you are Clarence Thomas, if you can be swayed away from your opinion, um, the opinion you've already written, already decided a case and you just has to be official you know if you can be swayed away from your opinion and change your vote due to public pressure you don't belong in the supreme court i don't care who appointed you i don't care if you're liberal or conservative if you can be swayed by uh, public opinion by people picketing in front of your house. You're not supposed to be picketing in front of your house to begin with. That's illegal in Virginia. But if you can be swayed that way, you do not deserve to be on the Supreme Court. I don't care what your uh, philosophical alignment is. I don't care if you're Elena Kagan or uh, Sotomayor or Breyer. Well, Breyer's retiring anyhow. But I don't care who you are, um, you should not change your vote. And to the credit of the members of the Supreme Court, they don't, you know, they don't, they didn't change their decision. Um, the ones who voted in majority in the draft opinion that was leaked a few months ago were still the same ones who, you know, everybody voted the same way as was indicated in the draft opinion that was leaked. And that, for one thing, is a good thing. I'd be very, very concerned if any of those judges bowed to public pressure uh, to change their ruling. Okay, that's the whole point. Um, 
And so that kind of leads me into the next point. Um, by the way, just to, well, just to finish up that thought, um, there's some idea, again, there, there's a conflation with some people between laws, who makes laws, and who decides laws. Now, basically, what happened in Roe versus Wade, maybe an oversimplification, but it's basically what happened. Um, you had one of the states, I forget which one is, decide to make um, a law um, banning abortion. I think it was a total ban on abortion, but what, uh, whatever it was, it was a, some sort of a ban uh, on abortion. Um, the, it came to before the Supreme Court back in 1973. Now remember, in 1973, uh, the country, basically the world, the Western world, was in, was in the middle of this, you know, sexual revolution, and you know, it was the era, basically a very hedonistic era in our history. And I'm not going to judge that uh, anyway, in particular, but that's that's the fact, and so. Um, there would have been a lot of public pressure to not ban abortion, okay, to have, allow about abortion on demand for basically any reason. And so back in, the, in 1973, the court, I would say wrongly so, I believe, went with the sentiments, followed the sentiments of the general public instead of following their duty to the Constitution, and they made a bad decision. Um, as I mentioned, um, you had the, uh, the amount of uh, intellectual and legal gymnastics that those, uh, I believe it's seven, seven justices made to make, basically make abortion a right out of whole cloth. Because, um, you know, abortion is, not, abortion is not mentioned anywhere in the Constitution. They, they made up the right. Um, probably because that was the popular, uh, sentiment at, at the time, but be that as it may, they made a bad ruling. Um, the Dobbs versus Jackson, uh, decision corrects that bad ruling. That's really what we had. And so what I say, the way I put it is that that court back in 73 basically vetoed that law again prohibiting abortion now of course the supreme court doesn't veto so they were doing what's commonly referred to as legislating from the bench we see that from time to time it's usually the left that likes to do it um sometimes conservatives are guilty of it but most of the time it's coming from the left coming from the progressive wing and so they legislated from the bench they created a right where there was none, and that law, that basically solidified into basically, you know, what they say the law of the land is. Now, of course, it was not the law of the land because, again, SCOTUS doesn't create laws, but there is this conflation, again, that... They, they believe that um, that the purpose of the Supreme Court is simply to 
act as a super legislature um, above even the U.S. Congress. And they believe that, um, you know, if there's a law that they can't like, if they don't like or they don't, you know, that's not popular with the party, um, progressives in particular think it's okay for the Supreme Court to issue a virtual veto over the law. That's not how it works. The Supreme Court is, is supposedly, is their, their purpose is to determine whether or not a law is constitutional or not. And that's it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's a bad law, if it's a sucky law, if it's a stupid law. If it's constitutional, if it's allowed by a constitutional, they're supposed to allow, they're supposed to roll in favor of that law. Um, and even if it's a great law, if it makes perfect sense, and, there, and a lot of people love it, but it's not allowed by the Constitution, they are expected to strike down that law. And I'm on the record of saying that when it comes to the Constitution, when it comes to the Supreme Court, I would rather lose a decision, important decision, based on purely um, constitutional grounds than win a decision I like on that I'm personally in favor of based upon the feelings, you know, the attitudes or philosophy of the judges. Okay. So, you know, I'd rather lose a case constitutional on a constitutional basis than win a case that's not really constitutional. Um, and that, you know, I think that more Americans ought to have that sort of, you know, they do well to have that sort of integrity. And I'm talking about uh, people on both sides, both the left and the right. They tend to uh, favor, you know, they, they see a law that they don't like that, that goes against maybe conservative principles. Maybe it's taxing, you know. And they want that law struck so bad. But if that law is constitutional, it's allowed by constitutional, then it needs to be allowed. Um, so I think people on both sides are guilty of expecting the uh, Supreme Court to act as some sort of super legislature. That's not their job. Um, and so, you know, it's... Kind of, you know, when you, it's kind of cringe when a senator asks a Supreme Court nominee, you know, how they would vote on a particular case or, you know, would you overturn Roe versus Wade? That was a popular question, of course. Now, of course, the popular answer is, well, we can't decide that until we find the specific facts of the case. I mean, basically, you know, the strategy there is to punt. Um, and... You know, depending on what the question is, you know, it used to be Roe versus Wade. Um, in some cases, it was a Heller decision allowing for the individual ownership of handguns. Um, but, but you know, certain senators have their litmus test. And, if, and they don't want to vote for any justice that wouldn't... Um, vote with them or support laws that they like or overturn 
laws that they don't like. But that's not the way it's supposed to go. I mean, you make the law in the Congress, the Supreme Court judges whether or not that law is constitutional. And that's it. Um, so, a lot of people on both sides have the wrong idea of what the Supreme Court is supposed to do. They're not there to add a rubber stamp to laws you like or to veto laws you don't like. Okay, that's not their job. Um, so, and it seems like people on both sides, Republicans and Democrats, are guilty of this. Um, I'm a little biased, so I'm a little bit more inclined to suppose that it's mostly to prog the progressives um, who want to do this. And the reason I want I say that is because a lot of what they're proposing legislature, you know, in as far as laws go, they can't get the laws they want passed. Okay, they can't get. Um, um, gun laws, for instance, they can't get assault weapons bans passed because they're not what the majority of people, that's not what the people want in Congress. That's not what the majority of people voted for. Um, most people, you know, vote, they want a uh, strong military, they want low taxes, and they don't want um, the government interfering with their lives. And so you have the will of the people, um, I guess, um, you know, that's where the legislature gets their power is from the will of the people. And the Supreme Court is supposed to be immune to the will of people. I know that sounds strange, but their job is to decide what the will of the Constitution is. And so that, um, kind of leave it at that. Um, oh, and there's one more point I just want to bring up real quick. Because you have the Democrats, you have you know people like Nancy Pelosi always uh, going on about, you know, the Republicans, they're a danger to our democracy. And we have to save our democracy from the Republicans who want to steal it from us. You know, that's what they're all about. They're claiming to be democracy, democracy, democracy. Well, what this ruling does, uh, <clears throat> this Dobbs versus Jackson ruling overturning Roe v. Wade, basically does what it actually does is uh, take the matter out of the hands of nine unelected people um, and turns it back to the states and for the people to decide. And so now the people in the various states will have a chance to vote on it. Um, you would think that the Democrats, from their rhetoric, would love that. Um, they're taking the matter of abortion out of a non-democratic process. At least not, it's indirectly Democrat. I mean, it's, it's a democratic process to the extent where 
they, the justices were appointed by democratically elected people, but that's the extent of it. It's basically an unelected body. <clears throat> and so you would think that consistent with the rhetoric about, um, you know, the Republicans being such a threat to democracy and democ our democracy is in peril, um, you would think that they would like um, to have such a major issue decided not by unelected officials, but elected officials that are responsible to the will of the people. But no, in this case, um, they're totally willing to, uh, they really have uh, outed themselves as being non-democratic. They're democratic only when it suits them. And when it doesn't suit them, when they have a law that they like, like the abortion law, Roe versus Wade, um, they don't want it decided democratically. They want it decided by the courts, by the Supreme Court. And so that is a position where they've been exposed for their lack of intellectual integrity. Um, you can't say, you know, we need to save our democracy and republics are, the Republicans are a threat to democracy on one hand. And on the other hand, when conservatives, conservative judges, um, put the matter into demo, the democratic realm, they take it out of the non-democratic realm of the courts, put it in the democratic realm, you would think the Democrats, based on their rhetoric, would love that. But they're not interested in that. They are total hypocrites when it comes for their democracy. So whenever you hear them crying about the death of democracy being imminent, if the wrong Congress is elected, if the wrong president is elected, um, you know, take that with a huge grain of salt because they're totally, um, totally intellectually inconsistent on that point. So we'll just leave it at that. I think we've had plenty to think about and talk about. Thank you for listening. Thank you for following LibertyRelearn.com. Thank you for following Liberty Relearned Online. And please follow the LR Podcast at LR Podcast on Getter. And follow me, JP Mac, on uh, Parlor or Parlay, as it's properly pronounced. And so thank you again. Um, we'll see what we talk about next week. Um, we'll see. Um, I think we'll, there'll be, this is going to go on for a while. Uh, people on the left, pro-abortion supporters, are already threatening violence. And so here, here, here we go with the, with the next summer of love, with a mostly peaceful protest. But let's pray that we don't go through this again like we did in 2020. Anyway, thank you. Thanks again for listening. Hope this clears up a little bit of um, the matter of Roe versus Wade. You're hearing a lot of things, a lot of points of view. So hopefully this adds some perspective to what you've heard. Um, thank you. And go back, um, listen to some of the, the previous podcasts, please. Um, I think there's a few good ones from season three and a lot, of, a lot of them. So go back and in the meantime, stay healthy, happy, and free. Thanks.